That's a lot of coughing. I, uh, <laughs> yet another Hillary Clinton hacking scandal. Same as it ever was. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Nope, not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. No stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. On 93FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5FM KAKU in Maui, WGRN 94.1FM in Columbus, Ohio, 102.9FM WLPP in Palinville, New York, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on the great AM 950KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yep, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. You can run, but... You can't hide from the broadcast, even though you might like to. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Glad you're here with us today. We are live in the KPFK uh, Pacifica Radio studios here, our uh, Los Angeles flagship Pacifica Radio Network station. Glad to be now sitting here, and um, my thanks, by the way, to all of those who supported our, uh, our recent fund drive here at KPFK. Thank you very much for that. Thanks as well to Angie Coiro of InDeepRadio.com for filling in for Desi and myself over the uh, past couple of shows, so we were able to sneak in some uh, much-needed, much-needed uh, time off uh, around the long Labor Day weekend. Thank you, Angie, for that. And to all of those ends, since I have been off the grid for a couple of days, uh, I was thinking, uh, and, and Des, uh, I haven't told you about this yet, but I, I was thinking, how are you, Desi Doyen? I'm okay, all thanks. Right. Uh, I was thinking uh, maybe we would do a reverse broadcast today. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that would mean, uh, <laughs> listeners, they will call in and tell me what the hell is going on for a change, and I will tell them why they're wrong about it. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> That's the plan. Uh, actually, it's the partial plan, because I do have some stuff I, I do want to, uh, I know that I want to cover, but uh, let's go ahead and try a reverse broadcast. Uh, you can call and tell me, what did I miss over the holiday weekend? Uh, in the past few days that uh, that I and the world need to know about. Call and let me know, and I will tell you why you are wrong. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Of course, I'll only tell you you're wrong if you are. If you're right, I'll tell you that first uh, But uh, as well. Uh, but there are a couple of things I want to get to uh, first from uh, some follow-ups from last week, uh, as well as from Angie's broadcast coverage over the last day or two. Uh, first, uh, some polling, since we are now past Labor Day, 
and finally into the election season. Now is when I'm told it counts. So uh, the polls are changing. The polls are tightening up. This is something we've seen over the past couple of weeks. I've been trying to let people know about this. Uh, I think a lot of Democrats aren't uh, paying that much attention, to be frank. I think they think that uh, Hillary's going to walk away with this, and she might. But uh, depending on who is doing the averaging, if you look at the aggregate polls, Hillary Clinton is now just up by three, according to The New York Times upshot an aggregate, uh, you know, the polling average. Uh, New York Times sees them uh, sees Clinton up just by three points nationally, just over three points, according to Real Clear Politics polling average. HuffPo has their own uh, Huff pollster average. They have her up by five. Uh, as the Huff pollster team puts it, not a single poll included in HuffPost's average has had Trump ahead since July, or at least that is the case until now. A new CNN poll that many are freaking out about came out yesterday puts Hillary Clinton up by uh, by three points among registered voters in a four-way race. That's including the Libertarian and Green candidates, but among likely voters. And this is what you're going to see. The polls are going to change now from registered voters, which is what we've been using now for months and months, registered voters, people who who could vote if they wanted to vote. Uh, now we're moving from registered voters to likely voters. And each uh, polling outlet has a different way they go about determining who is a likely voter, who is, uh, you know, not just registered, but who is actually going to show up and vote this year. And while Clinton was up by uh, three points in CNN's new poll yesterday among registered voters, among likely voters... She is down by one point. Donald Trump is now leading nationally, at least in this CNN poll. And it's only one so far. We'll see if more come out like it. But CNN now finds Trump leading Hillary Clinton by two points, 45 to 43. Now, a new L.A. Times poll that also came out, I believe this was yesterday as well, an L.A. Times USC national poll of, again, likely voters finds a tie between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. That in a two way matchup uh, that doesn't include the Libertarian and Green Party candidates. So CNN has Trump up nationally by two points. L.A. Times has a tie between Clinton and Trump. And with those polls, Clinton's lead in the real clear politics average fell to 3.3 percentage points in its average of national polls. That from 6.3 points just a few days earlier on August 27. So it plummeted with uh, some of these new polls coming out showing the race is tightening. A 538 forecast has now boosted Donald Trump's odds of victory in November to one in three. One in three. Yeah. Um, uh, Ken Goldstein, a professor of politics at the University of San Francisco. He's a polling analyst for Bloomberg Politics. He said at the end of the day, this race remains Hillary Clinton's to lose. That said, she may be capable of that, according to Goldstein. Uh, now, remember, presidential elections, they are ultimately they are not national elections. So we see these national numbers and they may be an, uh, a good indication of what could happen in the swing states. Uh, but we don't have national elections. We have 50 state by state elections. And on that front, Hillary Clinton still holds a lead in the Electoral College. 
in uh, pretty much all of these polls across the board, uh, but a massive batch of Washington Post survey monkey uh, polls of states, state polls, a big uh, a big study of states, uh, voters in, in uh, all 50 states, released on Tuesday, shows that Donald Trump has now edged ahead of Hillary Clinton in Ohio. So there's that. On the other hand, the same survey also shows Hillary Clinton with a one point lead in the great state of Texas. Really? In Texas? Well, yeah, according to Washington Post survey monkey, uh, this at least this uh, this one survey and it's a big survey of all 50 states, a new Arizona Republic Morrison Cronkite Institute poll finds Hillary Clinton leading Donald Trump by two points in Arizona. Uh, among light. And again, this is among likely voters in a four person race in Arizona. In all, Clinton still holds a fairly commanding advantage in the Electoral College and in uh, most of the polling, at least for now, even as the polling methodologies begin to move from light uh, from registered voters to likely voters. And as the race continues to tighten up at the beginning of this final stretch with just two months now to go until Election Day. And I can't wait until it's done. Bloomberg notes uh, of the 14 most competitive states, the states considered uh, most likely as swing states of the 14 most competitive states, the latest polling averages tracked by Real Clear Politics as of now find Donald Trump leading only in Iowa and the Republican leaning states of Arizona, Georgia and Missouri, in each case by three or fewer points. Um, so those could be close, at least if these numbers hold. But they are they do seem to be swinging the other way. Um, uh, Clinton, on the other hand, is up by five points or less, according to the real clear uh, politics uh, polling averages, five points or less in Florida, Virginia, Ohio, Nevada and North Carolina. She has a larger cushion in uh, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and New Hampshire, according to that average. Um, so, uh, you know, right now, Hillary Clinton, yes, she is still out in front. Yes, she still has a lead. Yes, she's still leading in the Electoral College. But everything is tightening. And I would argue that every vote counts, or at least it should. Speaking of Texas, uh, this is kind of amazing. The Dallas Morning, uh, Dallas Morning News. Desi Doyen, your home, uh, your old hometown of Dallas, uh, is actually endorsing Hillary Clinton for president. This they have not done since World War II. They have not uh, they have not endorsed a Democratic presidential candidate. They lead uh, their editorial today by saying there is only one serious candidate on the presidential ballot in November. We recommend Hillary Clinton. We don't come to this decision easily. This newspaper has not recommended a Democrat for the nation's highest office since before World War II. That's more than 75 years and nearly 20 elections. They say that the party's over-reliance, they're talking about uh, the Democratic Party, on government and regulation to remedy the country's ills is at odds with our belief in private sector ingenuity and innovation. Our values are more about individual liberty, free markets, and a strong national defense. They say we've been uh, critical of Clinton's handling of certain issues in the past, but unlike Donald Trump, they write... Hillary Clinton has experience in actual governance, a record of service, and a willingness to delve into real policy. 
Resume versus resume, judgment versus judgment. This election, they write, is no contest. Uh, they go on to talk about uh, <laughs> Trump's uh, shortcomings. They go on to talk about Hillary Clinton's shortcomings and say that, however, they pale in comparison to the litany of evils some opponents accuse her of treason, murder, her being cleared of crimes by investigation after investigation has no effect on these political hyenas. They refuse to see anything but conspiracies and cover-ups. The Dallas Morning News writes, uh, Clinton has made mistakes and displayed bad judgment, but her errors are plainly in a different universe than her opponents. So that's uh, the Dallas Morning News. Endorsing the Democrat. Don't know if that actually redounds to Hillary Clinton's benefit or not nationally. Well, in Texas, but, God knows what that would actually uh, affect would have. I mean, the Dallas Morning News is notoriously mm -hmm. conservative as far as the editorial board goes. Yep. They have wonderful journalists there who do great and objective work. But, boy, the editorial board, forget it. Oh, yeah. Uh, forget it. And yet they're still going for the Democrat. So I think that could have a difference in Texas. In Texas where this uh, a new uh, Washington Post survey monkey poll, uh, was, it, was it that one? Which one said, uh, has, uh, tr has uh, Donald Trump up by just one? If I have my numbers correctly, I, I lost track of it here. But uh, it shows a very tight race in the state of Texas. So that could make a difference there. It could make uh, Democrats around the country who are concerned about Hillary be uh, less interested in her. They cite a lot of the Republicans who have come on board for Hillary Clinton, uh, people from the George W. Bush administration back to the uh, Ronald Reagan administration. That may or may not go over well with uh, with some Democrats. In any event, that's where we are. Every vote uh, should count and it might count. But here's an example of votes counting and not counting. Remember Helen Purcell? She was the longtime Republican county recorder of Maricopa County. That's Phoenix, Arizona. She was uh, she was on the ballot last week when Arizona and Florida held state primary elections just last week. She's Maricopa's chief election official. She's responsible for the decision to move Phoenix from precinct-based voting Earlier this year in the primary and the presidential primary back in March, she moved the uh, Phoenix from precinct based voting to voting center based voting, where voters can vote at any location rather than having to show up at their own precinct. In the bargain, she changed the number of voting locations from more than 200 in Phoenix uh, back in 2012 down to just 60 during this year's presidential primary. And in the bargain, uh, voting locations in Hispanic communities were shut down. There were long lines, up to five hours in some places uh, for those primaries back in March. Many Bernie Sanders supporters at the time claimed that uh, there was evidence of the uh, of the DNC and Hillary somehow stealing Arizona. But Purcell, uh, who has been Maricopa's county recorder since 1988, almost 30 years, Purcell is a Republican. And both the Clinton and Sanders camp filed suit against those uh, those poll closures and the way that primary was run back in uh, back in March of this year. In any event, Helen Purcell herself was on the ballot last week in those state primaries in Arizona. She's uh, running for reelection. This would be her eighth term. And on election night. Uh, last week, as we reported, there was some apparent good news for those who objected to the way that uh, Helen Purcell ran the primaries in Maricopa this year. 
on election night when they were counting, they called it 99 percent of the uh, uh, precincts reporting on election night. According to Maricopa's own election site, which, remember, is run by Purcell, uh, we reported the next day after that election that she was said to be losing to her Republican primary challenger, Aaron Flannery, by just 339 votes out of some 26,000 votes that had been counted at that time. A difference of 0.14 percent. Helen uh, Purcell, the uh, the controversial Republican county recorder, looked like she was set to go down in uh, to be turfed out in the primary by a challenger by the name of Aaron Flannery. A- incredibly close race, uh, 339 votes, and the percentages were uh, Aaron Flannery 50.07 to Helen Purcell 49.93. Very close, a difference of 0.14%. So that was with 99% of the precincts reported. As of Wednesday night, however, Purcell had taken the lead over Flannery, had taken it back with once 100% of precincts were reporting, and as the tally of provisional ballots had begun, as of Thursday, the results had flipped. Now, Helen Purcell according to her own website and according to the uh, computers that uh, tally the paper ballots in Maricopa County, Helen Purcell was now leading by 374 votes instead of losing by 339. But the percentages were exactly the same, she, except flipped. She had 50.07 percent. Aaron Flannery had 49.93 percent. Exact same percentages, but the numbers had flipped. Make of that what you will. As of today, it is the same 0.14 percent difference, but there are now just 185 votes difference out of more than uh, how many were counted here? More than uh, uh, 30,000. I'm sorry, 300,000. More than 300,000 votes cast. The percentages have stayed exactly the same, but now there's a 185 vote difference. Helen Purcell uh, looks like she will now have beat Aaron Flannery uh, in the Republican primary. But it is a reminder of how every single vote counts. And the reason I say that it looks like she may now uh, beat him is because Aaron Flannery has said he's not going to challenge this race. He's not going to ask for a for a hand count. Why he wouldn't do that with 185 votes difference out of 300,000 votes uh, uh, counted, I can't tell you. But um, they and they have paper ballots that are uh, hand countable in Maricopa County. Uh, but it looks like they are not going to uh, not going to count them. He says uh, that uh, he had watched some of the tallying, that everything seems to him to be OK, so he's not going to worry about it. And besides uh, the money that it would take to uh, to carry out a challenge to the election, he can't he can't afford. He doesn't have once again, underscoring why we need to be able to oversee our own counts. We need to be able to oversee them on election night. Having paper ballots that, oh, maybe we can count by hand later is not enough because I I can't tell you how many times I've seen this over and over and over again. There's a close race, but the challenger simply doesn't have the money you know, they've spent all the money on their race. They don't have the money to go out there and start, uh, you know, spending all kinds of money on it on a challenge that they may or may not win and start raising money all over again. And they have to do it very quickly. 
It's easier for him to say, as Aaron Flannery has, oh, well, you know what? I'll just I'll worry about it next time. I'll, I'm going to run again in 2020. We've taught her her lesson this time. Hopefully she saw how close uh, how close she came to losing. And, uh, you know, therefore that that won't happen again. But who knows? Who knows if the uh, results were correct? We don't know. They have paper ballots, but they count them by computers. And this is what we are stuck with. Now, she will be facing uh, Helen Purcell will be facing a Democratic challenger in Maricopa on November 8th. So there is still another chance, if you wish, voters in uh, Phoenix to take down Helen Purcell. But that is where we are now. Okay, we've got some other voting news, but I'm going to skip that for now. We'll do that on tomorrow's program because I want to get to um, the latest on the uh, on the Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, we've been uh, covering this story uh, pretty early on, and there were some kind of remarkable developments over the weekend, over the holiday weekend. Angie Coiro, uh, sitting in for us, uh, covered some of what went on over the weekend, and she played some of uh, Amy Goodman's rather remarkable coverage uh, from uh, Democracy Now. She's been up, she was up there over the weekend when basically uh, they moved in with bulldozers and uh, security dogs and uh, started breaking ground on an area of the Dakota Access uh, pipeline outside the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, where they had been uh, protesting now. I think they're up to about 8,000 uh, uh, protesters out there, Des. Uh, tribes uh, from all over the from all over the country have come down. Uh, yeah, it's to, about, uh, a, about over 100 tribes now. More than 100 tribes ha- have, have joined them or voiced support for the Standing Rock Sioux. And I, the, the numbers at the camp vary. At some, mm-hmm. I think it's been as high as 4,000 at one point. And this happened on Saturday. And there was a panic and uh, uh, you know, people were, were getting hurt. Uh, where's my... Uh my story on this. Yeah, the, uh, let's see. This was uh, this was kind of amazing. Um, people were going out of the, the these bull these crew bulldozers came from 20 miles out of their way to demolish what had been sacred sites along the pipeline's pathway in North Dakota. This, according to Tim Mentz, a former historic preservation officer for the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, and the Standing Rock Sioux had identified these sacred sites just the day before on Friday, and then in come the bulldozers on Saturday. Now, we spoke with the uh, the chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux tribe last week. Was it last week? Yes. It feels a long time ago. <laughs> but it was uh, last week. And here's just uh, some of his comments about why they are trying to stop this pipeline. Uh, what's that? His name is Dave Archambeau. What did I say? You didn't say his oh, name. Oh, I was going to. Okay. Uh, Dave Archambeau, the uh, chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, why they are protesting, what their concerns are, and they have to do with uh, both uh, environmental concerns and the concerns of, you know, of their tribes and of their tribe and of their sacred lands. Our treaty lands, we have a treaty in 1851, is where this pipeline is going to cut through. We know there are sacred sites there, and we were never given the opportunity up front to have the pipeline be, avoid those things. There were uh, two routes that were chosen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was to avoid our ancestral lands, our treaty lands, and go north of Bismarck. Bismarck, North Dakota, the state capital of Bismarck. Mm-hmm. That route was not chosen because someone from the city said we have fresh drinking water. When they chose our route, we raise the same concerns. We need fresh drinking water. We have water intakes. They, they tell us, oh, there's, there's a 
very little chance that this would ever breach. So I said, why, why don't you put it north of Bismarck then? All mm-hmm. because there's a population of people there. There's a greater impact. So what we look at are not only our ancestral sites, but we're looking at the future generations. Mm-hmm. There's the, the environmental concerns, our future generation, our ancestral burial sites. You ask what the, the issue is, mm-hmm. there's too many yeah. uh, to, to list. We would ask that before a project scoping takes place, and if they're considering looking at an area that is on our ancestral lands or on our treaty lands or near our reservation or on our reservation, that they sit down and consult with us and give us an opportunity to, to uh, demonstrate and show where their sacred sites uh, we, We've been asking them not to go this way. Ever since we learned about this, we said, stop. They, they, it seems like the, the company out of Dallas yeah. and the Corps of Engineers, uh, the federal government, does not listen. No, they don't. No, well, actually, I think they do listen. I think that the uh, the company out of Dallas and the Corps of Engineers, uh, I, I think they do listen, and I think they did hear that these were sacred lands, and that's why they went in the next day. Uh, security officers that were hired by the pipeline's owner, Energy Transfer Partners, confronted the protesters with dogs and pepper spray. There was injuries reported on both sides. Uh, some security personnel and dogs uh, suffered minor injuries. Several protesters reporting injuries from dog bites, including a child and a pregnant woman, and dozens were uh, uh, sprayed with, with pepper spray. And uh, so the, they went to court, and Desi Doyen, I know you spoke with the uh, with Earth Justice, the the attorneys who are basically handling this suit as the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe is in D.C. trying to get them to stop this construction. I know you spoke with the attorneys yesterday because they went to they had an emergency. Uh, they went to court for emergency relief after this happened over the weekend, and the verdict was kind of misreported in in several different places that I saw. So can you give us the definitive word on? Uh, what, you know, their attempt to get this restraining order uh, from the federal government on uh, over the weekend. OK, so uh, over the weekend, this temporary restraining order, there was a mixed bag because essentially what we're talking about are three different court actions. First is the major broad lawsuit that mm-hmm. the Standing Rock Sioux tribe has uh, sued the Army Corps of Engineers, saying that they were not meaningfully consulted over the pipeline route. And there are concerns about their water supply, cultural sites, environmental impact. So the tribe then has filed an injunction to request that construction stop while they're waiting for their suit against the Army Corps of Engineers to continue. So at that uh, at that uh, hearing that they had last week on requesting this injunction, they uh, were told by the, uh, the the energy company told the judge, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we don't have any documentation on all of this. They haven't proven any of these sites. So they haven't proven that these are sacred sites. Right. These sites are on private right. land. They did not have permission to go on the private land. That's when the private landowner gave them access and said, yes, come look. Let's see. That's when they found the new cultural site. So on Friday, that's when they put in that evidence to say, hey, see, we found the evidence you asked for. Here it is. That essentially looks like it was taken as a road roadmap by the energy company on Saturday to bulldoze those exact sacred areas. That was when on Sunday the tribe went back to get the temporary restraining order to stop that construction. So yesterday the judge did hear an emergency hearing for that Mm -hmm. temporary restraining order. At that time he said no, 
I won't stop construction because it's on private land and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, I believe, does not have jurisdiction over private land. However, we'll go ahead and stop construction for now, temporary restraining order, on this other area that you have already asked about. That the U.S. Corps does have, Corps of Engineers does have exactly. uh, control However, over. there haven't really been any sacred uh, artifacts found on that particular site, the other site that the judge said, yes, you can stop there. They, so they, that's where we are now, is that it was a mixed bag ruling. They did not get protection for the sacred sites that they just found and documented. They did, however, stop construction on a different portion. Once they got access to that private land, they found almost immediately the evidence that they were uh, looking for. for yeah, these they sacred found sites, signs of burial sites, so cairns, yeah. uh, some jewelry. They found some items that, that you know they said was actually a significant cultural find. It's all gone now. Another element that I want to get to on this here, because uh, the U.S. Corps of Engineers, as uh, David Archambault told us uh, last week, they were the ones essentially who, who gave the approval on behalf of the federal government and allowed uh, you know the pipeline construction to begin. But uh, according to, is this, uh, yeah, Inside Climate News, senior officials at the U.S. EPA, the Environmental Protection Agencies, and two other federal agency, agencies had raised serious environmental and safety concerns to the North Dakota section of the controversial Dakota Access Oil Pipeline, which is a huge pipeline, by the way. It's set to ship uh, about half a million barrels of crude per day from North Dakota down to uh, southern Illinois. So uh, the EPA and two other federal agencies had expressed their objections uh, to the Army Corps of Engineers in in public uh, letters and so forth during the comment period. But those concerns were dismissed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which Inside Climate News said relied on environmental assessment reports prepared by the pipeline's developer. Dakota Access, LLC. So the pipeline company said, hey, we'll do the environmental assessment. Look, it's great. There's no No problem problem. at all. Right. And that's what the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers relied on. Uh, In the meantime, the EPA, the Department of the Interior, and the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation echoed the concerns about the pipeline that the tribes had. Uh, in public comments on the Army Corps' uh, draft environmental assessments. They cited risks to water supplies, inadequate emergency preparedness, potential impacts to the Standing Rock Reservation, and insufficient environmental justice analysis. The agencies urged the Army Corps to issue a revised draft of their environmental assessment. Basically, everything that David Archambault had said last week, right after they got out of their, out of their initial uh, court hearing on Wednesday before this emergency, the other parts of the federal government had agreed with him. Yes. And it was only the Army Corps of Engineers who said, oh, never mind that. Let's rely on the operators of this pipeline and their environmental assessment. And those are the same folks who found out about this sacred sites on Friday and on Saturday started breaking ground, knowing that the judge, I believe, hasn't the judge already said, well, I'm not going to stop the uh, the construction if well, the that, ground that, has that's already a, been broken? That, as I understand it. Okay. So as I understand it, that, the, uh, that they will not stop construction on areas of land that has already been disturbed. So going in and mm-hmm. disturbing that land and destroying that evidence, you know, that seems to me to be highly suspect, uh, if not uh, downright illegal. Um, it's my <laughs> understanding as well that under federal law, as soon as Native American cultural artifacts are found, that construction should have stopped right there. But it didn't. But it did not. 
So there's some question about why the U.S. Department of Justice is not yet involved in in finding yeah, out why is, this is happening. Where are they? Where is the DOJ? What's going on? Now, there were more arrests today in these protests. This is now finally beginning to get a, a, a lot more attention in the uh, in the corporate media. Uh, right. And and it's been reported that uh, Jill Stein, mm-hmm. the Green Party presidential candidate, has been arrested. Yeah. She hasn't actually been arrested. A warrant for her arrest has been sworn out for her to be arrested, but she has not physically been taken in. That's because she was at the protests over the weekend and she spray painted. She vandalized. She vandalized. Yeah. She spray painted. I approve this message on one of those bulldozers. One of the bulldozers. So that's considered vandalism. So mm-hmm. they're going to try to get her on that. So uh, you got to fig- you, you got to wonder what the hell is going on here. And with all of these other federal agencies, and I'm, I'm running late, so I don't have time to go through, uh, you know, all of this, but they found environmental concerns. Uh, the Antiquities uh, Agency, uh, you know, found uh, that there were uh, most likely sacred grounds here. And they advised against using this uh, this route for the for the for the pipeline, uh, you know, which was the same thing the tribes were saying. And they were saying, hey, why don't you run it up by uh, run it, run it down by Bismarck? Oh, well, because there's uh, people it could affect their water supply. There's you know, you guys, there's not as many of there's, you Native there's Americans. There's not as many people here yeah. will be impacted by your water supply being poisoned. So it's OK. Yep. Now, uh, where says are the Corps of Engineers, says the Corps of Engineers. And that's where we are. And now on Friday, with all of this action going on uh, on Friday, and I know that there are actually protests out here. I think the security firm has a uh, uh, has a branch out here in Los Angeles where there are uh, objections going forward, uh, protests going forward today. So we may have more on that later this week. Uh, but but yes, uh, on Friday, Friday yeah. the judge, the federal judge is said he will rule by the end of the day on Friday on whether to grant their initial injunction saying just stop this all this construction until we have our case against the Army Corps heard. What a mess. Very what much. What an embarrassment, uh, actually, for this country. And uh, environmental racism. This is, this is, I think, a big problem. As David Archambault, the chairman of the Standing mm-hmm. Rock Sioux Tribe, said multiple times, tribes are the ones that suffer and yep. pay the cost for these national energy initiatives, these national energy projects, because, you know, nobody oh, let, the, let the Native Americans deal with yeah, that. Yeah, he told us that over and over again, and uh, it seems like he's absolutely right. Uh, speaking of national embarrassments, let me, take a, uh, let me take a quick break, and we'll come back with our reverse broadcast. You can give us a call on, uh, on these top- any of these topics or anything that you think I need to know about. Uh, that I haven't discussed, that I need to know about. And, of course, I will tell you why you're completely wrong about it. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. If you're in the uh, uh, Southern California listening area, 818-985-KPFK. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with your calls and more. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Hold on to me as we go 
As we roll down this unfamiliar road And although this wave is stringing us along Just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your home This is your home This is the Bradcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm Brad Friedman. We are live today at the KPFK Pacifica Radio Studios, and I would love to hear from you. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. As we had uh, two months, two months from Election Day, almost exactly today. Uh, And what do I need to know? What do I not know that I need to know? And then I'll tell you why you're wrong about it. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Let's, uh, let's hit some phones here. Bill in Lake Elsinore. Hey, Bill, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, sir. Over a year ago, you predicted this may happen with the uh, Donald Trump uh, phenomenon. Thank you for noticing, yes. I was so hoping you were wrong. <laughs> me Something too. told me you weren't. Me too. But, um <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't refer to this as an election. I would call it an auction. Yeah. And does the uh, um, votes in the battleground, quote unquote, battleground states, mm-hmm. and the electoral college make up all the difference, anyways? The 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 votes in the battleground states. Say that again. Okay, votes in the battleground states. Yeah. Count for uh, five votes in the popular vote ah, states, correct? I see what you're saying. Well, no, not really, of course. But what you're saying is because those are the close ones, those are the states that are going to determine the presidential election, that they have more value than uh, votes cast elsewhere, at least in the presidential race. Is that sort of what you're getting at? Correct, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the Electoral College mm-hmm. makes makes up the rest of the difference. So we're, we're, we're being dis, we're at a disadvantage in uh, populated states. Over the battlegrounds. One thing that drives me crazy about elections is that so many people focus only on the presidential race. Now, you called it, what'd you call it, an auction? Auction, yeah. Auction. Uh, you know, and, and normally that that is the case. That has become the case, certainly since uh, Citizens United back in, uh, you know, 2010, basically the one with the most money wins. At this point, because you've got this freak azoid in Donald Trump. All bets are off as far as money, as far as buying one's way into at least the uh, at least the White House. All of the other races, however, that's still the case. It's still a money race and it's still, uh, you know, obscene the amount of money that is spent. But what drives me a little bit nuts is that there are so many voters who think only about the presidential race. They don't look at uh, the state races. uh, Well, the federal races for for Congress. For the U.S. Senate and the House and then the state races and then the local races and then the ballot initiatives, you know, out here in California, we've got two competing. We may talk about this uh, in more detail soon, but we've got two essentially two competing ballot initiatives concerning the death penalty. One will do away with it. The other will start killing people a whole lot faster. Uh, here in California, these things matter, and every vote in those in those cases, I believe, matters. So you know, I get a little irritated when I hear people, and I know you didn't say this, Bill, but when I hear people saying, "Oh, voting uh, voting doesn't matter, elections don't matter," like hell, it doesn't. Uh, you know, no matter where you live, at least that's my opinion. Am I wrong? 
Awesome, Brad. Thank you very much. Good to hear from you, Bill. Thanks for uh, for touching base. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. Anything that's on your mind, it is a reverse broadcast. Tell me what I need to know, and I'll tell you why you're totally wrong about it. Let's go to uh, Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, how you doing, uh, Brad? Listen, I just got through reading uh, Uncle Norm's book, Norm Chomsky, Masters of Mankind. Mm-hmm. And he says that the Clintons have a great name for business. The business really appreciated the name Clintons. And, of course, now Mr. Trump, uh, he's got a problem. He's offended the entire Arab and Muslim world. And uh, the Clintons, they kind of know where the bodies are buried, according to Pastor Rob of the SEIU. And, you know, another problem we got, Brad, remember your boy Alexander Hamilton and their fear of the mob rule, that democracy just might take hold, that if the, if the folks did have their voice respected, that they might affect the distribution of wealth. Do you think we still have that problem to this date? I'll talk to you later. Uh, all right. Thanks, Morris. Uh, I do. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that the uh, the voices of the people are heard. The problem is not enough voices uh, participate in the process. I mean, you know, even in an election year, we've got uh, anywhere from even in a presidential election year, we've got anywhere from 60 to 80 uh, percent of the registered voters actually bother to show up. And and that's in a big year. That's in a presidential election year. And you still have, you know, 20 percent of the people who are already registered who don't even bother to show up in the big turnout states. Other states are, like I say, around 60 percent. And those numbers are much, much less in off-year elections, in local elections, in state elections. So, you know, people say, oh, we don't have a real democracy in this country. Well, of course, we don't have direct democracy. We have a representative democracy. But even in that representative democracy, people don't participate. Now, a lot of politicians I hear, and I hear a lot of Democrats doing this, a lot of Democrats blame the voters. They blame the voters for not bothering to show up. I don't blame the voters. I actually blame the politicians. I blame the politicians for not giving the voters something to vote for, for allowing them to think in a a case like uh, Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, allowing them to think, oh, they're both the same. They're both the same side, uh, different sides of the same coin. Uh, I disagree. Now, you know, I don't care who you vote for. Vote for whoever you want. I say this over and over again. I know that out here in in California, we got a lot of third party supporters. Uh, uh, Gary Johnson, Libertarian Party, Jill Stein, the uh, jailbird, Jill Stein. Does he do it? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Okay, she hasn't been arrested yet. Uh, You know, supporters of that. And in states like California, you can have some comfort, I guess. That you can vote third party and it's not going to uh, uh, give the White House to a to a Donald Trump. Yes, I think Donald Trump is above and beyond anything or anybody we've ever seen running for the White House. And uh, I would be very concerned uh, about that, no matter what you think of Hillary Clinton, no matter what I think of Hillary Clinton. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. Anything you want to talk about. Um, and, you know, when it comes to turnout, see, so Democrats are out there basically blaming uh, voters for not voting year after year. And it is true. They don't vote enough. But I would argue that the politicians need to give them a reason to vote. At the same time, on the Republican side, they continue to try to keep people from voting. 
They don't want you to vote, and they're going to extraordinary means once again this year to do that. Now, we've got some good news out of the courts, and I think this happened, when was this, uh, late last week. Basically, the Supreme Court denied North Carolina's uh, attempt to hold off this injunction on their terrible law that has been described as the worst uh, voter suppression law since, uh, since the Jim Crow era. Uh, this was an appellate court uh, had found uh, this this horrible law in every, pretty much in every measure, uh, which was uh, restricting uh, early voting, uh, reducing the amount of time of early voting, eliminating same day registration, eliminating out of precinct provisional voting so that if you showed up uh, to vote at the um, if you showed up to vote at the wrong precinct, you would not have your uh, your ballot would not be counted, even though you cast a provisional ballot. And of course, and they did away with pre-registration, allowing 16 and 17 year olds to uh, to register to vote so that when they became 18, they would be able to vote. They wouldn't have to then run out and register to vote. Uh, and of course, these photo ID voting restrictions. Now, the appellate court looked at it. Uh, and found that th that the state of North Carolina had specifically targeted African Americans with quote surgical where does it uh, near surgical precision. They were specifically they had asked for how do African Americans vote here in North Carolina, and when they found that they disproportionately used early voting. Uh, and same-day registration and didn't have the type of photo ID that was required by North Carolina. As soon as the Republicans who now run North Carolina found that out, they put restrictions on all of these things. The appellate court struck that down. North Carolina went to the Supreme Court and in a 4-4 tie decision late last week, they, uh, they, they couldn't agree. Therefore, the appellate court ruling stands. The appellate court ruling uh, which uh, struck down this law. That's the good news for now in North Carolina, where the governor, Pat McCrory, the Republican governor, uh, is actually in a very close race this year uh, for re-election against the attorney general who has refused to defend this law, Attorney General Roy Cooper. Um, so McCrory, in his statement after the Supreme Court failed to restore this restrictive law, uh, put out a statement uh, blaming the four liberal justices on the Supreme Court. And here's the actual statement that McCrory put out. North Carolina has been denied basic voting rights already granted to more than 30 other states to protect the integrity of one person, one vote through our common sense voter ID law. So basically, he is arguing that it is North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, that has been denied its basic voting rights. Never mind the voters, it's the state that has somehow this imaginary right to vote uh, by the state, actually right to keep people from voting in North Carolina. McCrory went on to say in his statement, uh, even without any support from our state's attorney general, we were pleased that four justices, including Chief Justice John Roberts, agreed with this right while this right, this right to keep people from voting. That's how they're framing this. Uh, agreed with this right while uh, four liberal justices blocked North Carolina protections afforded by our sensible voter laws. Uh, that's something else that matters in this uh, in this presidential election. The Supreme Court, which right now 
was split four to four. Uh, if Donald Trump wins, uh, he'll put someone like Antonin Scalia back on the courts and boom, millions of uh, the voting rights uh, for millions of Americans goes down the drain. By the way, Ernie Canning, our uh, uh, legal analyst over at uh, Bradblog.com notes, states don't have a right to vote. Only people do. What McCrory is complaining about is a denial of a right of a GOP-controlled state to suppress the voting rights of classes of people. 818-985-5735. Oh, shoot. I got Okay, let me get to a quick break, and we'll come back. Uh, I went on and on. Sorry, I'll come back to your calls. 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Say it's only a paper moon. Sailing over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me Welcome back to the Bradcast. We haven't heard that one for a while. Thank you for that, Desi Doyen. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman, bradblog.com. Our phone number is 818-985-5735 if you'd like to uh, get in on the conversation today. Mark in Thousand Oaks, welcome to the Bradcast. What is on your mind, sir? Do I have Mark? Do we lose Mark? There we go. Hey, yes. Mark. Okay, we got you. Yeah, sorry. The censorship uh, is, is over. You're in. What's up? Yeah, this is the fifth time I've called on the uh, Bernier Bust movement. That you've uh, called me? Yes, and uh, I was calling ever since uh, before it was a thing. It was in the New York primaries when I started because I was nervous as heck that Trump might actually get considered. Well, when you look at the Gary Johnson numbers, they're saying 50% right now are coming from Bernie-leaning supporters. Mm -hmm. And my only message right now, again, is the same. I wouldn't use the word ridiculous, as, as Sarah Silverman said. But if you're voting in a swing state for someone like Jill Stein or Johnson, mm -hmm. and Trump wins, it is no question that you will have the same accountability as someone who votes for Trump. I mean, it's proven with Nader. He got all the votes in something like 700,000 votes in Florida. So all those people who thought, well, I got to vote my conscience, I'll vote for Nader. Well, Bush gets in, starts a bunch of wars. You cannot deny the fact in a, you know, that if you vote for uh, Stein or Johnson, who, Johnson just happens to be the exact mm -hmm. opposite of everything Bernie stood for. So I, I kind of disagree. I think the voters have to be, uh, they can't be in denial to say I'm going to vote my conscience mm -hmm. and then vote for someone like Johnson, not if you're a Bernie supporter, because he's basically 
is the opposite of everything Bernie was. So you're saying, uh, so uh, just so I understand what you're trying to say, Mark, you, you say you disagree. You disagree with with, with what? The idea well, that... Well, you're asserting that, uh, you know, it's okay to vote your conscience in a swing state uh, and kind of take your chances. I, I don't think it's that easy. I think there has to be an assertion to, for people who are Bernie voters to realize they would be equally responsible if Trump wins of casting a Trump vote. And it would be the same. And and I agree with you, Mark, actually. So either I misspoke or you right. misheard. Yeah, no, I, I, I think in the past, it, all right, I, I may be apologizing here, but I've always got this assumption when you say you, it's fine to, to vote your conscience. I, I, I kind of disagree with that principle that, you know, in the swing states, it's it's not okay to vote your conscience. <laughs> well, I think no. you really need to, you've got a, a binary choice. I mean, mathematically, they can show that yeah. if you have two candidates who cannot win and you vote for one of those candidates, you are actually voting for the other. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, know, maybe, uh, let me, let me. Yeah, no, actually, Mark, I, I I think we are of the same mind here. And and if I misspoke and said in swing states that you you know that it doesn't matter, I, well, I was saying that you know it's one thing if you're in uh, a, a blue state, a California state, or or even a red state, and if you want to uh, uh, vote for a third party. Now, I will never tell anyone that it was not okay to vote your conscience, but I think you need an informed conscience. You need to know what will happen, what the value of your vote is, and yes. As you point out, Mark, exactly what will happen, uh, you know, if you vote for uh, a Gary Johnson or a Jill Stein in a in a swing state, and that ends up throwing the race to Donald Trump, and that ends up throwing the White House to Donald Trump. I think it's okay. I'm, not, I'm never going to tell someone you can't vote your conscience, but you need to be aware of of what the effect of your vote is, and I think people are woefully, woefully misinformed. When they say well, there's no are, difference between Trump and exactly. Clinton. You know, then, then maybe I was a little off because the way you just phrased it there, I would totally agree with you. But I do think a lot of the people are misinformed. I don't know the reason why Johnson has 50% of his supporters burning leaning because it just makes no sense to me. Jill Stein, I get in a way, but Johnson doesn't make any sense if you're a Bernie supporter. Uh, I I hear you, Mark, and uh, and I accept. Well, I appreciate uh, you 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 know hearing me out then. Uh, And I accept your apology. Thanks, thanks, Mark. I appreciate appreciate the call. Uh, All right, uh, Sora, we got yeah, we got a few minutes here. Let me. uh, Soren uh, wants to get in uh, Long Beach, also on Bernie or Bust. Hey, Soren, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad, thank you for all you do. Thanks, Um, just jumping off the last caller there. You Mm -hmm. know, I only have this to say you're so good about election reporting election fraud over the years etc i would like to uh you know respectfully suggest that maybe like you look into some way to counter the narrative i i think it's a total urban myth that nader voters cost the uh bush the bush regime to be installed i agree the the numbers don't square up like that in florida when you look at the caging lists you know i know you're familiar with greg Powell's reporting i just want to see that urban legend you know beat back any time i mean we can have disagreements you know Mm -hmm. good people can be like oh you know vote your conscience at all times or you know hey lesser two evil this or that people got to do what they got to do swing state or otherwise but I just want to see a smart guy with a platform like you counter that narrative. Nader did not 
Nader voters did not cause the shenanigans that Kathleen Harris and the Bush mm-hmm. administration and their Supreme Court, they installed Bush despite yes. the Nader vote. I, I no, exactly. No, listen, Soren, I, I've, I've spoken about that for years, and it was not uh, Ralph Nader that put George W. Bush in the White House. It was the Supreme Court that put George W. Bush in the White House. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, nonetheless, nonetheless, pay attention when you're voting what the effect of your vote could or couldn't be. Uh, in Florida, it turned out to be the Supreme Court, but it could have been uh, the third-party candidate in any event. Oh, shoot. I got to get out? And do I got to get out already? Yeah, I guess I got to get out already. Thanks, G. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks to all of you. Sorry I couldn't get to everybody on the line. Um, and Gary wanted to talk about Nader, too. It's G's fault. G is our soundboard operator. I thank her anyway, and I thank Desi Doyen, our producer, and I thank you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com, over at iTunes, over at kpfk.org, or wherever. Uh, We'll be back with you uh, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters. I'm the Brad Blog, and you can drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.